Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and returning from uh, for his third appearance in the book club, it's David Grice. David, welcome back to the book club. Thank you, Eamon. It's nice to be here. Well, it's nice to have you. I know we've both had, uh, yes, we both had busy days and busy schedules, but we've managed to fit it in at the end of a long, busy day. Um, I checked back. You've been on more recently when we did the Dread Urban Warfare um, book, but your first appearance was with Zenith Phase One all the way back in Episode Nine, five years ago, David. Goodness me, still going strong you are as well. Well done, Em. <laughs> still keeping it going. So um, you're one of my regular correspondents who's going to cover a whole series with me, hopefully over you know the project. So we're back for Zenith Phase 2 today, aren't we? Absolutely, yes. If we, if we do it in five-year installments, we'll be about right, won't we? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what we're doing. <laughs> we'll have to go back to the start. So let's just do the the facts and figures. This is phase two from Progs 589 to 606. The year is 1988 in 2000 AD. Uh, Grant Morrison, who since we last recorded has um, announced that they are non-binary. So I'm going to try and use they and their. But if we don't, please forgive us um, if we don't always get it right. Art, obviously, by Steve Yole. Uh, letters by Mark King and Gordon Robson, editor Steve McManus. And so, David, can you quickly remind us who is Zenith and what was uh, Phase 1 about? Well, Phase 1, goodness me, what was Phase 1 about? That was sort of the Loiga. How do you pronounce that word, anyway? Yeah, the Loiga. Cthulhu. The Loiga, very much like... uh, Lovecraftian creature, wasn't it, um, from the other dimension wanting to take over. And uh, we've got Zenith, which is um, well, he's sort of rock star, but he's also a, a, what we'd call, I don't know, a purebred superhero, would we say? He's the next generation of, isn't he, from the, yes. um, the ones that were genetically enhanced, the originals. He's the offspring of two of them, two of the uh, Cloud9 uh, team members who went various ways, but... Um, aren't necessarily as missing as we thought they were right at the beginning, are they? Um, so, yes, um, it was an interesting story. A bit of uh, Nazi overturns with uh, with a few people taking over. They always like to get in, don't they, the, uh, um, the occultists and things like that. So it was um, an interesting story. I'm not really explaining it very well at all, I'm doing Well, that's all right. I mean... Yeah, complicated. Yes, and it does get more complicated as the phases go on. Um, this is phase Absolutely. two. We'd had a couple of interludes, hadn't we? There was the one, I think, about the character Whitlock, who was Maximan during the uh, Second World War. Yes, we found his demise was a bit more um, yeah, brought, about, brought about by the UK government, wasn't it, in the end, really? He was... Uh, to test out um, a nuke, wasn't he? And, yes. Uh, yes, and so it wasn't exactly, um, yes, more, more of a sacrificial um, lamb than anything, wasn't he, Paul Maximin, as it turned out? Yeah, he's a rather unfortunate character, isn't he? But he gets a little moment before we what we know is going to happen, which, you know, came, was right at the start of phase one. And then the other one, of course, is Doctor. You know, like it does sound like a Bond villain, Doctor Payne. Um, we Dr. get Payne, yes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> we get one a moment from him, uh, I think, in Prog 559. Um, what did we learn, if anything, from these first two little interludes? The interludes, well, very interesting. It's very much um, setting the scene, isn't it, in a, in an alternate reality, um, New Sydney, or whatever we'd call it, but it's Sydney, isn't it? You know, it's, um, it's an interesting kind of um, phase two prologue, down under, isn't it, with some of the Cloud Nine members getting... Uh, having a meet and um, a bit of a, a bit of a dinosaur slugfest going on on a double page spread and everything. There, yeah, very, very, um, yeah, it's very uh, cinematic spread that one, isn't it? Really, um, the dinosaur yeah. page. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, every comic is better with dinosaurs in it, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, you can't go wrong with a few dinosaurs. You do feel a bit sorry for them, really, being brought back just because, well, they're extinct anyway, so let's kill them. That seems to be um, <laughs> seems to be a, a bit of a you know a bit of a um, commentary on on people more than the poor dinosaurs. who were only in it for the for the meat, after all, weren't they? I suppose. And yeah. as Zenith progresses, we're going to talk about. Uh, multiple worlds or a multiverse or whatever um, is that down under prologue is that the first time you think we encounter the an alternate world in Zenith I think it is um, yes at least um, quite so um, openly anyway there might have been some hints at it earlier on what with the Loiger turning up and everything or Loiger wherever they turned up from so there's been hints at it hasn't there but this is um, the proper time we're immersed in it I suppose as it were as full-on spectators of uh, a different a different version of reality um, yeah it does it does develop much much easier further on doesn't it or much more uh, explicit further on but um, yeah I think it possibly is as far as I can recall Okay, and then, of course, after all this preamble, we get into phase two. So give us a quick synopsis. What is What happens to Zenith in phase two? Phase two is back to, well, it gets tricked into, basically, on the old, uh, the same premise of, oh, do you want to find out about your parents again, wasn't it, by uh, um, the old CIA lady at the beginning, which seems to be echoing the first one, doesn't it, really? Same thing again, but then... Doesn't it doesn't initially find out a lot about them, um, and we've got um, a very, like you say, a very Bond-esque kind of setup with um, um, megalomaniac kind of villain type wanting to nuke London, and behind the scenes, this um, I don't know, he's like a Mengele character on steroids, isn't he, Doctor Payne? Really, yes, um, with the, in in genetics or whatever you refer to it as. Um, Again, wanting there, wanting to use Zenith as breeding stock again, aren't they? Really, later on, as we find out with the, another couple of his um, enhanced um, super super characters. I don't know. Do we actually find out where those ones came from? I can't remember that one actually. Well, I presume they pain created them somehow, and they're the characters who are floating outside various windows at, at points in the story. And yes. we later find out... And following the aeroplane up to... Yeah. Yeah, following the plane that Zenith is flying in on up to Scotland and then they show up at the, the villain's base and the idea is that Zenith is going to have sex with them and produce super babies, I gather, um, which I presume he does do 
Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's sort of um, hinted at, isn't it? He doesn't seem to be um, protesting too much at that um, prospect, does he? So he's, uh, he seems to be okay with that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, I guess I meant to say in the interim, there's um, the, the megalomaniacs also uh, taking over a nuclear submarine, which is also very Bondian, isn't it? It's very very Bond referenced, isn't it? Really, um, the nuclear sub is. Taken over by the um, well, there's a back door into the um, computer system, isn't it? Because the the Branson type character, as it was meant to be at the time, he's um, left himself a back door. He's, he's a billionaire due to um, due to getting into software products, wasn't it? Or something. Yes, it's I think the, so. The arcade boom. Yeah, the arcade boom. So took over there, but it's it is heavily re- referencing uh, Richard Branson with the um, the balloons on his uh, jumper and everything. So yeah, Scott Wallace, as it were, very sort of thinly disguised yeah, so Richard very, Branson type character. Yes, very much so. And uh, they're all yeah, it's all very eighties reference, isn't it? There's Thatcher and there's uh, Peter Sinjun as a uh, yes, the Heseltine character as he was originally, wasn't he? So it's all um, it's all referencing. It's all very eighties, isn't it? Very uh, of its time. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's not dated too badly looking back at it, really. I don't think it's. Uh, you've got to put it in its in its time periods. Some, it works perfectly well. Some comic relief red noses in there. I noticed. Yeah, it must have been the early days of comic relief, wasn't it? Yeah. I think probably the. Uh, you know, I'm not really up to speed with the uh, when that started off, but it must have been the early days of that. And, and uh, yeah. And of course, Zenith's still interested in how his next singles do it and that sort of thing, and uh, trying to set up dates yes. with Beatrice Dahl or of, of all people. Yes, he does want someone to um, see if they can change it. Oh, that's much later on, isn't it? Yeah. Chimera. Yes, that's much much later on, and we get um, yes, we get lots of um, visitations for Peter St John having uh, these nightmares of the. The black sun and everything, and it's, uh, it's yes, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a very interesting tale as usual, isn't it? But uh, Bondesk and um, there's sort of a slight reference that um, Grant's done, which I'd only noticed really. Really, it was a bit of a commentary against Watchmen, wasn't it? Apparently, it was. Uh, I don't think they particularly liked it as much as all that. Which I thought it was quite stunning, really. But it's uh, it's a bit of an anti-Watchmen in places, isn't it? Um, the the climax of the villain is uh, it's it's like an anti-version of Watchmen, one, isn't it? You know, the um, he's already worked out how you know it's already happened when uh, Rorschach and Night Owl get to the uh, to the lair at the end. Um, and in this case, he just sort of gets tricked into it by, um, well, tricked out of it. There's the, it was meant to be the uh, algorithm of uh, Zenith's low point when he was set up with um, Warhead again, wasn't it? But he, he lied about his birthday and smashed it or something. <laughs> Very complicated, but um, interesting way to, an interesting demise for a supervillain. 
Yes. So, I mean, as you say, unlike in Watchmen where they turn up hoping to talk the villain out of his plan and only to find out that he did it 35 minutes ago, in this one, uh, the villain gets through his monologue about what his plan is and then Zenith just basically talks him out of it by telling him how complicated life's going to be after he nukes London. And uh, he's sort of, he loses interest, doesn't he? He says, have you really thought this through? And then when he, just in those few seconds afterwards, the uh, Scott Wallace character said, oh, you're probably right. It's going to be quite messy, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like the whole the whole Bond thing's been a bit of, um, I don't know, it's been a bit of a red herring, hasn't it? The big the big thing with the nukes and everything seems to have been a, a, something to do preserve what was really happening. And mostly... Like you would say, I think you're hinting at it's more or less um, more of a a whole sort of um, prologue for phase three as much as anything, isn't it? When things really uh, kick off, but we'll come back to that in what five years' time or something like that. <laughs> um, Hopefully sooner, but yes. It did feel it did feel that yes. way to me though that this was just a little interlude, um, and you know he was perhaps moving a few pieces around. Uh, or they were perhaps moving a few pieces around hoping to set up phase three, which is where I think it gets much more interesting. This one, I don't know whether Grant Morrison did lose a little bit of interest in the supervillain. Um, and the resolution at the end is just like Zenith talks him out of it, which it seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it is, um, you know, if if it was to be believed, you know, that it was a bit of a a Watchmen commentary, then it does work quite well. But, uh, I mean, yes, if it was just a detour on on the way to get to um, Phase 3, then it's still, you know, you can still admire the scenery as you go along because there's some brilliant set pieces in it, isn't there? And there's some some sparkling humour still, even, you know, all these years later. It's uh, uh, it's quite clever, isn't it, in places. Some of it's uh, maybe a bit, you know, looking back at it, some of it maybe seems... Like, oh, we've seen that a few times before, but when you remember it's 1988, we hadn't really seen it that many times before. This is pretty much, you know, of its time, cutting-edge stuff, I would say. it's uh, And the artwork is superlative. The story, I, I enjoyed the story, really. You know, like I say, if it is merely setting up Phase 3, then I'm OK with that. I'd, you know, I'd waste time reading it again. It's just enjoyable, isn't it, really? It's like, it is like one of those Bond films, really. You you know you might wait you might have to wade through some of the Roger Moore's before you get to a Daniel Craig or something like that. But then if you're in the right frame of mind, you can say, well, you know, it's still enjoyable. It's a ripping yarn, isn't it? Hmm. So there's nothing really wrong with that if you're enjoying it. Let me pick you up on a couple of uh, plot points or moments that you've mentioned. Um, Peter Sinjin, who is, as you say, Michael Heseltine with superpowers. Um, yes. And gets that memorable Black Sun dream, which does give us the cover to Prog 595, I think it was, the Black Sun co- uh, cover. One of the most sort of startling covers, I think, in the Prog's history, in a way. It's one of those ones that really stands out for me. And I think I've had Absolutely. Steve, I think I've had Steve Yorg sign a copy of that as well, actually. Um, but it's a good cover, isn't it? And a good moment. Yes, it is, actually. Yeah, towards the um, that's the beauty of these books, isn't it? You get towards the back, you get the covers. Um, you know, I'm still 
I'm still bemoaning the fact that there's no page numbers on any of these things. So we can't say, oh, if you get to page 56 and look at the panel at the top right, because you can't do that without counting it now, can you? Or writing on the thing. So, yeah, but it's easy enough to find the covers and the, the gallery at the back. for. Um, but that is one of the, obviously, it's, uh, it's one of Steve's, isn't it? And it is quite amazing to say it's just black with uh, red in it. You can almost... It almost vibrates that page, doesn't it? It seems a stupid thing. It's like a fanboy kind of thing to say, but it, it's it's got a kind of real energy about it, hasn't it? A real rawness about it, just that pure blackness. It's amazing what uh, uh, Steve managed to do with monochrome entirely yeah. through that. I think, it's, I think it's, you know, even today, looking, um, you know, the um, sinister Dexter work and things like that, I still much prefer his work in monochrome. Much prefer it. You know, his artwork's still brilliant, but the black and white just sheer genius, isn't it? So I don't know. I don't know how you managed to do some of it in black and white like that. Amazing. It is well. It's an astonishing cover, and it's some astonishing artwork, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, the other thing, I suppose, is that Zenith's dad turns up. This is spoilers, obviously. Warhead. What did you think of that yeah. reveal? And and in fact, the Warhead character in all together. It was, um, yeah, it was disappointing that he's gone all that way, you know, still been wanting to find out who his parents were. And then it's almost a throwaway line to let him know that it's his dad, isn't it? And he's still sort of, he's pretty much, there's nothing really much left of poor dad, is there? No. Um, He's severely brain damaged and... I don't know. It's almost like I don't. It doesn't seem to have the brain power to run that machine that is inside. Does he? Really? It's a bit. Um, yes, it's a bit strange. Presumably, and, uh, there's some Scott Wallace just, software in there as well. Yeah, you would think so. You wouldn't think um, that's maybe the one thing you'd think. Why? How is this character driven to um, attacking Zenith? And if there's if there's that kind of motivation, then couldn't it just be, you know, fully automated in the in the first place? It seems to be a bit of a, I don't know. It's it's used just so we can maybe see what Zenith will do. He's very much of the self-preservation society, Zenith, isn't he? He's likable most of the time, but um, really, soon as soon as something starts. <laughs> weighing in quite heavy it's uh, get me out of here already isn't it or something mm. like that it's pretty much yeah <laughs> whatever it's definitely uh, okay let's see if this works but um, yeah I'm not too sure about what what, what would you say about um, dad there being warhead it's a bit well, if yeah. if we're likening this to a Bond film with a Bond villain and a Bond villain's plot, he's sort of the henchman character who turns yeah. up to beat up Bond, or in this case, Zenith, for a while. Um, but we know at the end, you know, there'll be the Zenith will overcome him. But, of course, we also get the Darth Vader reveal at some point when the helmet comes off. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I must admit, every time I read it, I forget that it's his dad in there. So apologies for spoiling it for everyone. But anyway. Mm. And the, the, one of the best lines of the entire series, I don't know if... I remember reading it first time when it, when it was serialised, saying, well, he's got his mother's eyes. Yes. <laughs> should, we, should we give that spoiler away? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think you can, yes. Yes, and... Uh, 
the other character says, "It's quite, I, you know, I have to find, I'll have to quote the exact line if I can find the right page now." But again, they're not numbered, are they? Um, oh goodness me, where is the thing? Well, he's gone. He's gone up to um, Wallace's base, which is the heart of Scotland, isn't it? Yes. In, uh, as it's known, um, which is, oh, goodness me, I can't find the exact page now without the numbers. But they say, basically, um, he's got his mother's eyes and and they're saying, oh, really, I thought we had those. And they're, they're, there's a set of eyes in a jar, isn't there, on the shelf? There is, um, yes. Which is a bit, oh, that is really grim, isn't it? So obviously his parents have met him. Well, one's about to meet his, uh, a grizzly end, his own uh, offspring's hands. And uh, poor mum's already gone. Yeah. Um, fuck. So, yeah, it's it's a commentary on pain, I would suppose, more than anything. They've obviously, how they've managed to, um, I'll save that for another day, won't we? But, yeah, I cannot find that page now. It's amazing when you look for it. I should have put post-it notes in here. No, I can't find it anywhere either, but I know what you mean. I know the pay. I know the uh, the reference anyway. Okay, let's turn to... Right at, the, right at the end of one of the, uh, one of the um, chapters, wasn't it? Which yes. is... Uh, yeah, which must have been again in a in a slow, not a slow burner, but you know when um, Morrison's writing these, they must have to come up with it to you know to end in a serial kind of fashion every six or seven pages or something like that, depending on what space they had in each week's um, prog. Again, it must take some manipulating because. I would think they would have a, a long story there. And, it, you know, to get it to really come up to some kind of ending each week, must, that almost must be an art in itself. The writing is, you know, to, to get it to that kind of, um, it's not like writing a Doctor Who or something where you've got 50 minutes pretty much to meet the Daleks every week, is it? It's got to be, you know, six six pages or seven pages, something like that. Um, and if you've got two of those pages that are taken up with a dinosaur getting his head blown up, and that's <laughs> well, it's, it's a good way to end it, isn't it? I suppose. But there you go. Hmm. Sort of rambling, but uh, yeah. Okay, well, let's turn to Steve Yole's artwork. Black and white, as you say, and you prefer his early black and white work anyway. Um, I hmm. thought this, I mean, you know, we've got nice glossy paper, looks great. I noted uh, in our notes that this was sort of midway between his Yoles outline stuff that he was doing in phase one and then his sort of very much light and shadow stuff that he moves on to later on. And again, this is sort of a little bit of a midpoint between those. What did you make of the artwork? I think the artwork's superb again, really, in this one. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a... Uh, you know, there's there's use of light as well. It's not just black, is there? And when the when the light's there, you know, you can you can. I don't know. It's a silly thing to say. You can feel the brightness, can't you, on the page? There's a bit. I'm just looking a bit where he's. Um, it's phase two, um, part twelve, the parent trap, and he's pretty much thumping um, wired there, and it just looks like it's all lit up where the where the fist. You know, you can't really see. It's just because there's no detail there, but that's made it look bright. It's quite it's quite clever stuff. Hmm. It's great, isn't it? Yes. I mean, as you said, you like to see sort of pages where light spills off the page and then other stuff where it's in shadow. Uh, Scott Wallace sitting in front of his um, computer screen. Computer with his face. screen, yeah. And yeah. The, the face is all, yeah, 
lit up like it like it would from a glowing an underneath kind of um, light source, isn't it? It's it's been. I don't know if you had people model for this or took it from photographs and thought that's the kind of light source area. Well, obviously the guys come, you know, uh, Steve must be well well trained in art. Um, so yeah, it's it's all lit incredibly well. It must have been painstaking to have done it all in black and white. That's probably why he's doing colour now. He's probably thought that's enough of that. Um, but it's amazing. I find it quite stunning. Quite stunning the black and white. Um, I did notice one mistake in it earlier on, though, which I thought, oh, did he, did he not spot that? I didn't notice it earlier. There's a bit, um, I think it's right near the beginning, where he's having that first meeting with um, Warhead um, before Phaedra Kill's gone to uh, rescue him there. Let me see if I can figure that out again. Yeah, the first meeting with Warhead, where you see he's actually got a Warhead for a head, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been hit on the left on the left hand side. You've got sort of the vision that um, the sighted. It's a bit like um, predator vision, isn't it? That Warhead can see must be seen in some sort of heat ray or something like that. And you can see there's um, he's, he's hit Zenith and sent him flying across the room. And you, you get the vision that uh, on the left hand side of the book, you've got the vision that Warhead must be seen through his sight. And then when you look to the end page where it says next a slight case of murder you see the reflection of zenith in warhead's helmet and the z's the right way around i'm thinking that was a basic mistake for all all the stuff he's done brilliantly the z should be the other way around shouldn't it if it's reflected i thought i wondered if you were going to mention that yes there is that problem that the z is the you can read the z and you shouldn't be able to i think it should be the other way around shouldn't it because if you look at the position of his leg on the left-hand side page, this is really pedantic's corner, isn't it? This they've he's actually inverted the leg so the the left leg's up, and then in the reflection, it's the right leg that's up. But the Z's the right way around still. I'm thinking, what's going on here? It's, it wouldn't be like to have got that one. You know, everything else so spot on, and the Z's the um, you can read the Z as correct, but it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? That's yeah. the uh, never mind. Never mind. These minor things creep through in artwork like this, but it is. <laughs> yes. Um, it is great stuff. I mean, you know, I'll say that Steve Yold sometimes has this uh, unearned reputation of not putting enough detail in panels, but there's an awful lot of stuff in here, and particularly, you know, some of the character work, some of the backgrounds, some of the black and white shadow and light stuff. Um, I mean, it's maybe because he uses shadow and light so much that he gets that reputation, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And uh... and the design work on Warhead, on, you know, Peter St. John, Shockwave and Blaze are the name of the two superhumans that uh, Payne has created for Scott Wallace. Uh, they're all great as well, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely amazing what he's, what he's done there. And... Um... Yeah, we do get to see. I know you you were mentioning uh, earlier on about his um, no, not on online before. No, but we mentioned about his his mask. You just finally take his. Um, you do see Zenith without the mask towards the end of the book, don't you? Actually, but the um, it's quite dramatic around the eyes, isn't isn't it? The mask as it as it would go, and it, you know, it's just like it's so big around the eyes. It's almost like it's. It's more. It's a. It's a statement, isn't it? More than a mask, because you can see so much of the eyes. It's a bit. Uh, 
it's hardly a mask at all, is it? Really, it's, it covers his nose and goes over the uh, there, but the the whole um, you know space around the eyes is really exaggerated, isn't it? It's almost like well, you, you, there's no real point to having the mask, is there? Apart from a visual look, um, did remind me of um, this, the size of the um, what would be the word, you know the um, the counters, I suppose you'd call them in the in the in the mask where you can see the eyes. It did remind me very much of an early sort of Elvis Costello kind of spectacles that were really over enhanced, like Buddy Holly type things. Almost like they're he was drawing attention to the eyes as much as anything. Maybe he was going for that kind of vibe. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I just liked that they'd come up with this clever idea of having a character masked all the time, but it's not because they're a superhero concealing their identity. It's because it's part of Zenith's pop look, isn't it? And, you know, yeah. he just, he has the mask. It doesn't really conceal anything, but it's just part yeah. of his look. And uh, it's great fun in a way to have a masked superhero knows. like that. Yeah, everybody knows who he is anyway, don't they? So it's a bit, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if they didn't, it'd be much, um, it'd be much more upset, I suppose. He's definitely got the ego to go with everything, hasn't he? He has, yes, that's right, yeah. <laughs> You're always worried about phoning his manager to find out what's happening next with his career. And then sitting on a plane, in a plane seat next to the CIA lady, when he's wearing the mask, even though they've checked in and everything, you know. Yeah, this is it. It'll be probably be on his passport photo with a mask on, wouldn't it? Presumably, yeah. Do they allow that? I shouldn't <laughs> think they, they probably did then in the 80s. Wouldn't get away with it now. What about, you know, Steve Yole's work? Is this, is Zenith your favourite Steve Yole? Yeah, I think he is overall. It's just because it was just, uh, at the time, it was the first time I'd ever seen any of Steve's work. So, yeah, it's definitely. And it's, I don't know, I still don't think it can be beaten today. I think it's great. The black and whites, you know, it's excellent, isn't it, really? There's so much... I don't know, so much life in it for a black and white one. Like I say, it does. I still like his artwork, you know, the Sinister Dexter stuff and everything he's done in between, but the colour doesn't work as well for me as the black and white. Right, yeah. Um, and, and there are, I mean, it's not... I mean, later on we'll get some the odd pages of colour zenith from other artists, I think. Um, yeah. There was one at the end of Phase 1, wasn't there? I think a story from an annual that... Yeah. It just doesn't seem to work. It just works so much better in black and white and Steve Yole's artwork. Absolutely. And didn't we didn't we comment on that American Fleetway reprint? Did they colorize that? They so did. Yes. Much. They did some terrible coloring on all those, didn't they? Oh, yes. Well, I am not to skip forward too hastily, but the um the cover gallery towards the back where you see those uh, Fleetway quality comics kind of covers. I'm thinking Oh dear, um, yeah. There's a, it seems to be a bit rushed, doesn't it? Really. Well, um, as you it, know, as many a person has said, quality comics by name, but not necessarily by content or by well, the colouring. Quality, quality is definable. You, you know, you can have high quality or low quality. <laughs> <laughs> It's not an action. Just to say something's quality it doesn't mean it's, you know, you can have poor quality as well as high quality, but we will we'll reserve judgment on that. Some people may really like that, might they? Um, yeah. It's got it's got its place in history now, whatever, hasn't it, really? But, it has. Um, you would think, well, I don't know, you'd think they would have had enough artwork to just, 
made it fit, wouldn't you, from something they already had. But there you go. Maybe there were copyright reasons or something like that. I have no idea. But it just doesn't look right at all, does it? No. Probably probably worked extremely well. Probably a very good artist who works extremely well on other things. It doesn't fit the zenith. It sort of jars, doesn't it? It doesn't fit too well um, with that. But never mind. We can gloss over that. And... You mentioned earlier Peter St. John and the very much veiled in shadow Margaret Thatcher. Again, um, Steve Yole doing great work at shadow to sort of conceal the fact that it's pretty obviously it is uh, Maggie Thatcher as the Prime Minister in Zenith, isn't she? Yes. <laughs> good, old, good old Mrs. Thatcher. And that, um, that reference to um, Mr. Heath. Oh, yes. And Peter, Ted Heath, he's becoming a dreadful nuisance and I do so worry about his health. Anything could happen to him. <laughs> and oh, yes. probably will. Yes. Uh, Peter's going out the door. Of course, I understand, Prime Minister, yes. That's <laughs> that is blissfully dark, isn't it, really? Um, some of Morrison's finest writing there. Just like I say, if it was just a, a detour to get to phase two, then what a journey, really. It's if you can put, you know, if you can put little things like that in, that's amazing. Again, it might seem... Some people might say, like, that seems a bit hackneyed, but this is sort of really one of the first times around, isn't it, where you'd see things like that. Is anyone really doing that with the, uh, you know, I mean, don't want to politicise things too much, but um, in other countries, um, they wouldn't um, be able to (laughs) take as much liberty with um, actual people. I know it's all, you know, it's all done in the shadow, as you were, but... um, Ted Heath gets a shout out, doesn't he, in person? So he does, yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, so they've not veiled it exactly that well, have you? I mean, you've got a policeman outside number ten and everything, haven't we? Really, so yeah, hmm. you can take you can take it um, with a pinch of salt, but it's uh, yeah, it's, it was it's entertaining, isn't it? Really. So we mentioned Steve Yole's, some of Steve Yole's other work and how you this is your favourite. What about Grant Morrison's other work outside of 2000 AD? Have you, um, you know, back in the day or since read things like The Invisibles and All-Star Superman? You know, I've never, I've never read The All-Star Superman. And at some time in the dim and distant past, I, I did get through some of The Invisibles, but not all of it. It was good. That was... Um, was that Yowl as well in places? In places, yes, too. yeah. Mm, that was that was entertaining enough. He's um, yeah. Well, I mean, I did, you know, I say entertaining enough. It was good, but I, um, this, I've not seen the Superman one though. It was um, All Star Superman. So you'd have to infill me on that one. What on earth was that all about? Well, it was it was sort of another attempt at one of the last stories of Superman uh, arcs. And um, um, stay tuned to the Mega City Book Club because it will be coming up with Dunk Nimmo at some point. Dunk's coming back on the the, uh, the the show to do it. So we will do that one. And I've got Julius Howe starting me off on a series of Invisibles trades. So uh, we will be back talking more Grant Morrison in the future as well. Um, you know, what about your favourite Grant Morrison? Is it going to be Zenith? Yeah, it'll have to be, I'm afraid. I'm such a fanboy with Zenith, aren't I, really, if it's going to be? <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it definitely is. I know, because, I mean, let's face it, it does, it does go up again, doesn't it, when we get to phase three, but um, I, I still think you had to you have to go through phase two, obviously, just to, just to get there. Um, um, maybe it's the... Um, 
what should we say? Maybe it's the quantum of solace of the of the arc. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we're sticking with our Bond references. Uh, I am looking well, forward I'm to phase three. Yeah, I'm one of the people who actually enjoyed Quantum of Solace. I don't know what the hoo-ha was about it, really, but there you go. So, yes, I'd, I still think Phase 2, you've, got to, you've definitely got to go through it. And it is, you know, it isn't definitely enjoyable, really. The artwork's brilliant. The story's, you know, it works, doesn't it? It works quite well. Okay. What about favourite moments or episodes from Phase 2 before we get on to Phase 3 in the future? What, what about in this I- book? I do like the little asides of, um, you know, things like um, he's got his mother's eyes, really. I thought we had those. And the, uh, but, I do, but I do worry so much about Ted Heath. Anything could happen to him with his health. I think the, you know, it's the little things like that. It's the, it's the knowing little nods and winks, isn't it? Um, the Chimera character, or Chimera character, however you want to pronounce it, um, that was great when he got, released at the end because that that was cleverly done I thought um you know the the door got um where it was contained didn't it? it got buckled in the fight um with warhead wasn't it yes and, uh, chimera escapes yeah a little voice saying I'm free or something like that isn't it it's a little thought voice kind of thing and then he's taken the uh guys of his manager hasn't he he uh, has he's initially. become Eddie for a while yeah yeah, and so, I mean, it begs the question of how did he know who Eddie was, really, um, I suppose. Um, but he could have picked out from all sorts of places, I suppose, couldn't he? Um, without going into detail, you'd make your own detail up. Maybe there's some sort of DNA dust residue about the place that he could just sort of, oh, I can make, I can make a facsimile of Eddie. Um, but they, you know, to get away with his voice and everything like that. And then we, there's some sort of splurge where he's um, changes into many people, um, like Marilyn Monroe and everybody. So it's um, uh, it looks to be Richard Nixon on one of those pages and the Easter Island statues, and goodness knows what's going on there. Um, so he's uh, obviously tuned into some things, this kind of area. Yes, absolutely. Yes, pop. Uh, there's a bee's head or something, or an ant's head. Uh, yeah, it's a very sort of pop culture references. Definitely Marilyn Monroe front and centre. Um, presumably, some other could almost be a Morrissey. Dare I say it? Um, as well. Yeah, there was. I mean, the reference that he was based a bit on Morrissey, and who was the other um, singer? I forget who it was now. Uh, I don't know. Um, he looks a bit like um, Rupert Everett in places as well, doesn't he? He does, yes. I'm not sure, not sure who all the people are meant to be in some of those. Um, looks Nixon. Uh, looks like Marilyn Monroe. Possibly some kind of tiger thing as well. Um, I'm not sure. It could be Richard Burton there on the left of that. If you look at the same page I'm looking at, I'm not sure. Yeah. It's the first page, uh, phase two, chapter 16, Chimera Unbound. It could be, um, might have been meant to have been Richard Burton. It'd be nice if we, if we, I don't know, probably in some work somewhere, Steve might have a name check of who those characters are somewhere. Or Grant might have said, draw 
this, this, and this. Actually, it looks like Michael Fassbender now, doesn't it? Because nobody would have known who that was then. <laughs> that hey. would have to be very, <laughs> very foreseeable, wouldn't it? Say, oh, can you draw this person who looks like this? And you think, oh, it looks a bit like Michael Fassbender, but I'm not sure who that is. But, no, you won't for another 30 years ago. He's um, more likely to be go. reading it at that stage, I think. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and the Peter St. John character as well, with all these levitating and musing in the sky, trying to catch two nuclear warheads and that kind of thing. It's, <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it, really? Thinking, oh, yeah, what am we going to do? Well, you know, we've got politicians that can actually levitate above London and just sort of thinking things through. What am I doing? Am I really thinking I'm going to catch two nuclear warheads? Must be out of my mind. It's just an average day for a UK politician that's a bit more enhanced than others. And I love, I love the page where he has that conversation. Peter Saint John has that conversation with the Prime Minister in shadows, and the work that uh, Steve Yole does on Peter Saint John's face reminded me on that particular page of David Lloyd and V for Vendetta, that sort of shadow and light and expressionistic faces. Um, is wonderful, as you say. You know, it's the it's the line about Ted Heath becoming a dreadful nuisance. <laughs> um, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm struggling to think what Ted Heath must have been doing at the time. Really, he was probably <laughs> on his on his yacht, morning cloud, wasn't he? And uh, I don't remember him being a particular nuisance to the Conservative Party in the eighties. But um, there you go. No. For yeah. my sins, we should have go- we should have googled Ted Heath, nineteen eighty-eight, see what on earth was going on back then. Um, maybe there was a, some kind of power struggle going on, and he was, um, you know, trying to bring down Maggie's demise, which wasn't long in the in the pipeline either, really, was it? So, no, she didn't have a superpowered Michael Heseltine, unfortunately, or fortunately, probably. And if anybody does know the faces of Chimera. Um, or they've been annotated, please do let us know. Somebody will know somewhere, won't they? Yes, um, Julius Howe will probably tell me. He'll probably have the original sketches. Ah, right, well, there you go. Yeah. That would be good. So, yes, you've got some... Um, yes, couldn't be too sure from the first page at the end of the previous chapter. Like I said, it looks to be a Morrissey kind of character, one of them, and a, a blackbird, isn't there? A Morrissey, yes. a black, possibly a... Um, a wasp type thing. Um, not too sure about who the others are. No doubt Steve will know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're going off on a bit of a. Oh, could he change into Beatrice Dahl again? Couldn't we? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And he actually reflects on Zenith, doesn't he, at one point? And then, yeah. So, what about. What about if we play Grail Pages, David? Let's give you all the artwork and the covers for this run of Phase 2. What are you going to pick to hang in the virtual art gallery? Ooh, uh, let's have a look. Even though <laughs> even though the Zed's the wrong way around, I like the reflection in the uh, in the warhead meat there. That's kind of a, uh, yeah... And I know you probably you probably have dibs on the on the uh, red and black cover for the black sun. I would think of you. Is that uh, well? Actually, yeah. I had my eye on the warhead one, but that you guests go first, so you get that one. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. we'll go for the that first official kind of chapter. Then, really, after the after the uh, prologue. Uh, first two many upper returns. So we've got one, two, three, four, five pages. Next, a slight case of murder, and there's a reflection. Even though the Z should probably be inverted, um, 
we've got the get out now in the uh, in the corner, and then a full page of uh, this menacing lumbering mechanoid coming for Zenith. Um, <laughs> the look of sheer horror on the reflection of his face tells it all, oh, doesn't it, really? <laughs> Perfect. So we'll give you that one. Thank you. That would be lovely. Yeah. What about? Do you want? Do you want to uh, to pick the from the covers? Pick Black Sun as well. Oh, we'll have to have the Black Sun one, won't we? Really? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. That, that's that's yeah. The others are good, but I still, you know, yes. That's it's, it's got some real power about it, hasn't it? That one. I'm too late. That one. It might even be that would be the original artwork without any of the uh, the. Um, you know, the, the 2008 and everything on that would just be stunning, wouldn't it, really? If you just had that. That's an amazing piece of artwork, isn't it, really? It is. It works well in, in red and black. I mean, yeah, black and white, great, but red and black works perfectly well for that one. Makes more sense as to how um, Peter Singer would be able to see in his in his nightmare visions that everything's black. There's a black sun, but this thing's walking about in the shadows and you're thinking, I, don't, I can't fathom out how there would be shadows. But if you put a red cast on it, then you think, yeah, that would make sense, wouldn't it? If it's got some kind of radiate, radiating kind of glow about it, I suppose. And if we think of all the distinctive 2000 AD covers over the years that have featured Dread and Johnny Alpha and Nemesis and so on, but to have this cover, um, and it doesn't even have Zenith on it because that's Peterson John at the bottom of the of the cover, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think it's... Yeah, it's it just... And it's so it. memorable. It's such a fantastic cover. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love all these Zenith covers that we get at the back of the book, but that's that's the pick of the crop, isn't it? Yes, yeah, um, yeah, that's brilliant. The, the sort of slightly more stylized one, where he's he's a bit sort of a little teeny tiny Zenith in a in a cosmic kind of world. There, that's um, that's quite entertaining, isn't it? Really, isn't yes, it? black and yellow. It's a it's a different kind of take, isn't it? It's almost like a, a, a manga esque kind of version of him over the. Uh, of the galaxy, but yeah, the the um, yeah the black sun one, um, yeah, very much a, a George Michael kind of stance on the first cover we get from uh, Prog Five Ninety with Zenith's back, which must be heralded in his return, obviously. Again, the colours hmm, that might have been as well in the kind of monochrome, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going too far down this route, aren't I? Really, yeah. He's got to have some colour somewhere. And you've got to have it on the on the covers because that's what they obviously were paying the printers for, wasn't it? That's the it's from the days when we only had about four pages of colour, wasn't it? But the outside and the two pages on the middle, I think. Yes. And I'm just wondering when George Michael's Faith album was. Um I should have checked that as well, because it is a very George Michael cover, isn't it? Very much so, yeah. I don't know. Can uh quickly find out can we if we with the drive the internet <laughs> let's see if we can do it live as we go along george michael faith i'll look it up um but yes it must have been oh, i don't know oh we are 1987 there you go oh there you go then so, that was the faith one yeah yeah oh but that would that would fit in with that perfectly wouldn't it it then? would so yes a george Bit of a George Michael um, vibe on that one as well. And uh, bless him, he was a lovely chap as well, wasn't he? So, you know. Yeah. 
sadly missed as well. So I'll yeah. pick. I will pick the Ted Heath page. I think I'll just because of the the shadow work by Steve Yole, the Downing Street page. Um, I'll pick that. Perhaps unusual to not have Zenith or Warhead or Chimera on it, but um, Peters and John meeting the Prime Minister in shadow and um, the wonderful work on his face and hair by Steve Yole. So I'll have that. I think. Yeah, and let's let's give Grant his due as well there because their due there. Sorry, do you know, that's the first time I've probably done that. Although I've, I'll be littered with that somewhere. Let's give Grant their due there because that uh, dialogue is uh, really, isn't it? It's spot the, on, know, isn't it? Yeah, the insinuation anything could happen to him is absolutely brilliant. It might seem slightly dated nowadays, but that would be like one of the first times we'd ever seen, you know, heard, written, read something like that. So. Um, yeah, I like that. I think that's that's a brilliant piece of writing, isn't it? Just all these uh, shadowy um, goings on in uh, the Houses of Parliament are number ten in this case, which is still I would still say it's probably very believable if we anything. Yes. <laughs> let's see, let's see if we do an update and have uh, have uh, a modern day kind of character of Dominic Cummings and uh, oh my goodness me, no, I don't think no. Let's not go there. Oh, rewind that bit. <laughs> well, to, to to quote another probably 1980s uh, Downing Street drama, you know, you might think so. I couldn't possibly comment. Um, <laughs> the House yes. of Cards one, you know. Yeah, yeah. I dare say the uh, truth is stranger than fiction in a lot of cases. It would take some beating of this, wouldn't it? But, it yeah. would, yes, yeah. Were, yeah. All right, yeah, David. So Zenith Phase 2 is available from the 2080 store. It's in hardback for £20, 9.99 digitally, or I have got the I've still got the omnibus edition that they put out for £100 of all four phases bound together in one hardback. So that's the one I'm still using for this. Uh which which one did you get in the end? Have you got the individual volumes? The individual volumes. Yeah, I did. Oh, and I missed out the this did they put a, um, a, a notice out a while ago, didn't they? It was on the website that they found another pallet of the um, omnibus ones kicking about. They did, I yes, I think that. so, yeah. And they were going for about £100. I think it was £100 short of actually getting one of those at the time, which is a <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, we didn't we didn't sort of align. Well, my planetary um, finances uh, weren't in the alignment of thinking, oh, well, that's £100 that would have been well spent, but never mind, because um, that would be, yeah, one of the amazing things. Keep watching them turning up on eBay. They'll go for about 10 times that much now, won't they? But there you go. You never know one day. Expensive um, things. But there you go. You can get it uh, reasonably cheaply, nine ninety nine digitally, if you into the digital um and it is you know it is lovely stuff grant morrison's work writing um the dialogue is very snappy and great some lovely moments the sort of plot might fizzle out a little bit but steve yole's artwork is beautiful to behold in black and white on glossy paper so yeah yeah and and yeah the the pure joy of it is they're they're both having a lot of fun with it aren't they really and if you can like i said you can just take what you want out of it. I, I, I think the artwork and the writing's brilliant, really. Yeah, it's maybe just a detour somewhere, but it's a, it's a lovely ride out, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, well, it's a lovely ride out. It's a very bleak and grim ride out. People are getting killed. But it's, a, you know, it's a, it's a visually stunning and spectacular ride out. And, yeah, it's it's not a wasted journey. It's uh, you find You find some things out along the way that you need to know. So, yeah, maybe... 
you know, maybe it's not the best one, but it's good. It's excellent. So I, I quite enjoyed it. And we've been, we've hopefully been suitably vague not to ruin it for anybody. I exactly. Put a couple of couple of spoilers in there where we can maybe just say just just go and read it first and then <laughs> <laughs> and zenith will return in phase three and hopefully that won't be five years time for us we will get to it and there will be a multiverse of madness to use uh dr strange expression from the forthcoming film yes there was a brief wasn't there in this one there was a brief uh interlude at the end which was in according to these notes it was in the 2018 winter special wasn't it where there's uh Another alternative um, Maximan character um, in some sort of, I don't know, um, strange Himalayan kind of area that's uh, very Art Deco and uh, not of this world, obviously. So, yeah. yeah, it's all appertaining to where we go next, isn't it, really? Indeed, yes. Published in the 2018 Winter Special 1988 Interlude 3 Maximan. Um, which art yeah. by M. Carmona. I don't know that artist. Yeah. I don't uh, know if I do. No, it looks um, very um, Bella Donnelly-ish, doesn't yes, it? Yes, it does, yeah. Um, especially that kind of um, sidewards kind of, um, you know, when some, when the angles of the characters that, Bella Donnelly used to do. People used to sort of always go off on right angles, didn't they? Yes. I, that's how I describe it. Um, there's a bit where he's just walking off to one side. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, it's either someone who's very influenced by him or him doing it under another pen name or something for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, but um, maybe they've, um, I don't know, maybe this Carmon has gone on to other things since then. Hmm. Okay, well, we will come back and do Zenith Phase 3. Um, it's guest projects time, David. Now, as I say, you know, you've been very busy recently. We've had a, the odd scheduling problem because of my work and your work. Um, but I know you also do voluntary sessions. And, of course, without going into too many details, but you do voluntary sessions for Samaritans, am I right? Yes, I'm uh, currently volunteering there, usually towards the end of the week because it fits in with work and everything there. But uh, yes, it's um, it's been interesting times. You know, people have been through um, yes, well, been been through things we wouldn't ever expect to go through, wouldn't we? Over the over the last couple of years or so, and so yes, it's uh, it's been quite a busy period as well. So uh, I do recommend you know if people don't struggle with things if you're you know people do struggle with things but don't ever feel there's no one you can talk to because that's the worst thing you can do so we're you know we're there 24 7 at Samaritans to to listen to you know don't even think that it's something trivial or anything like that if you're worried about something you don't need to worry alone everything's confidential and without judgment you know you can pick up the phone 24 7 on 116 123 it's free phone we don't record anything, you know. Um, we we don't have any way for any people's phone numbers out or anything. Anything comes from a central hub and gets um, spun out, you know, to different branches all around the country. So everything's completely anonymous and you can talk about anything that's worrying you and, uh, you know, get it off your chest and we're just there to listen really and, you know, see you know see where you can go with things 
Excellent. Well, I mean, I commend you on doing that, David. Thank you for doing that. As you say, everybody's had a rough time with their mental health through the pandemic. You know, it's been tough on all of us. We're all a bit raw still from the sad loss of Dave Evans recently. And, you know, we'll just say it again, the importance of knowing there's someone to talk to in confidence um, is, you know, vital. And I will put the link in the Samaritans in the show notes as well. Um, you know. Thank you for that. Um, and, yeah, and there is uh, email as well for people. You know, it's not to everybody's um, talk. Maybe they don't want to talk. Maybe you can't talk. You know, in some cases, it's uh, you. You know, you might feel a bit restricted talking to somebody, or you know, it's easy to get on the email. But you know, it's the same thing there. You know, you can email us, and we'll we'll reply as soon as we can on the emails as well. There's always someone there to you know to help. Uh, you know, offer emotional support, really, which is what it's all about. It's not trying to take everything on your own. It's it's uh, it's turned into a scary world, but we'll get through together somehow. Thank you, David. I, it's I, really important, you know, uh, on the phone, online, via email, you know, as Bob Hoskins used to say in the BT ads, it's good to talk. And if you're in a dark place, please consider ringing the Samaritans. Don't do it by yourself. You know, there's there's other people who can help. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Don't you don't have to, you know, think you're on your own. You can call us anytime. We'll be there. Fantastic. And you know, it's well, I'm just I'm so impressed that you you're so busy and you're doing that in your spare time as well, David. So thank you very much. It's really important stuff. You're quite welcome. It's actually um it's, you know, it's it's very rewarding because you know, you know, if anyone's thinking about volunteering, I can to do something like that it's 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 worthwhile it's very rewarding and it does give you a a sense of perspective you know yeah i have bad days everybody has a bad day and you know it does give you a sense of perspective and you can actually just you know once you've had a good call and a good you know outcome it does it does help yourself as well you know it's 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 yeah, it's worth doing so. But definitely, if you're, if you're struggling with anything, don't think you have to struggle at all. If you're worried about something, we can, uh, you know, we can listen to you. It's, it's you know, emotional support is what uh, can get you through sometimes. Just just talking. It's, it's there. It's what we're there for. Great stuff. As I say, I'll put the links to the Samaritans in the show notes. It's so very important at the moment uh, for so many people. David, thank you for giving up your time to do a bit more Zenith. Quite welcome. Thank you, Thank you. And David Grice will return, but next time it will be Batman Dread crossover, I believe. That could be quite interesting, couldn't it? The Batman Dread, yes. Oh, that one's been a while coming, but we're going to get to do some Batman Dread, which is, you know, possibly the the comics crossover to end all crossovers. Um, Maybe the best one. Absolutely. They don't, um, let's put it this way, they don't get on too well, do they, really? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to reading the whole hardback of that, which is uh, great fun. Excellent. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the details, including links to Samaritans at megacitybookclub.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Instagram, and the 2000AD forums. Or email me by going to mcbcpodcast at gmail.com.
And that'll do us. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's uh, goodbye from me and... It's goodbye from me. 